Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. Well, last night, America, the secret signal, the bat signal was broadcast, and all three hacks are here to talk about a pretty amazing election night. Gentlemen? Yeah, good to see you, brother. It it was an, an amazing election night, you know, and two big screaming themes. One is, uh, you know, Trump is uh, having some success on the vengeance tour, uh, and that has implications for the Republican Party uh, in November and and beyond. And uh, this issue of abortion is big. And uh, what happened in, you know, the Democrats used to ask uh, seismic, what's the matter with Kansas? Now Republicans are asking that question and what they should divine from it. Uh, and those two things, I think, uh, well, that should, for a valuable group of hacks like us, Gibbs. <laughs> well, Gibbs, you're the Dorothy of the group. What, what's your take on Kansas here? <laughs> I feel like uh, I'm, everything's been said, but not everyone has said it. Um, no, I, I look, I think Kansas was seismic. Uh, and I think um, uh, just one nit I would have with what you said, Axe, is I, I, I think last night proves – Trump's grip on the party is is stronger than ever before, uh, or at least as strong as it's ever been. Well, we're talking uh, about we'll, that. We'll argue Go that. Uh, uh, I know Murphy will take will that tell up. Me I'm take wrong. that up with our Republican friend. Yeah, no, I'll, yeah. I'll get into that. But but Kansas, I'll, I'll, I, I, huge. Kansas was enormous, huge. Yeah. Now, part of it, I think, and that we need all the numbers to settle, but their indications were. Some dumbass Republican legislators who, you know, tried to move this thing. And let's caveat that Kansas traditionally has been a pretty pro-life state. Pro-life politicians have had a lot of statewide and local success there. It also was the scene of some pro-life violence. Remember Dr. Tiller back in 2009? I mean, it's really sort of a hub of of, of pro-life you know, very fervent feeling. Right, right, exactly. Tip of the spear, as they would say. So then, I don't know about you guys, but there was one poll floating around that showed at 4744, and all of us have been around vote no campaigns. I I yes. do a lot of them. And vote no. Yeah, that's the side you want. It, it, yes, because you're born rich. You know, everything tends to break your way. Confused voters go to no. Undecided voters mostly go to no. So when I saw it was only three points, I thought, wow, they're, they're choking on this thing. This is not normal pro-life Kansas. But but still, if you had made a bet with me the day before, I would have said narrow, narrow win. Uh, and bingo, instead it was a complete slapdown. And I think part of the mistake that dumb bunch of legislators, regardless of where you are in the pro-life, pro-choice issue, made was thinking, all right, we're taking a super hot button issue and we're trying to settle this thing our way in a primary thinking that all our grumpy Republican primary voters will vote and they're mostly pro-life, so piece of cake, high-five each other. Well, it turns out there was a massive amount of people who decided they would participate in the primary, and the vote got really swamped. And even, I think, pro-life voters, a chunk of them didn't vote for this thing. So it's a real lesson for anybody on the Repub side looking at the Senate races in particular, and also for them thinking, hey, for our next trick, we're going to go after gay marriage because we need to motivate younger, more secular voters even more to go vote Democratic. But but two things here, Murphy. I mean, you mentioned this the, this turnout. Let, let's give credit. There was an enormous 
nearly presidential level turnout. Yeah, an amazing. Enormous, That's my point. They they swamped the boat totally. But an enormous vote. Democratic uh, uh, turnout here, and and it speaks to the energy that this issue has. I also think that to your point, you look at Johnson County, the biggest county in the state. It's the Kansas City suburbs. Joe Biden got fifty three percent and sixty eight percent voted no uh, last night, uh, according to the latest statistics. Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. it does show you that there is a, a decent sized delta of people that um, aren't sort of dyed in the wool Democrats that are supportive of abortion rights. And that speaks to the power that this issue potentially could have, not just in an important place like Kansas, but really all over the country, particularly in swing states. So do you think the D's are going to, both of you guys, go 24-7 abortion going forward, thinking this is... I don't think that. I, I think it's going to be big. I mean, look, the the propensity of politicians, not just Democratic politicians, to over-interpret is, yeah. uh, is pretty significant. But look, look at a state like Michigan. Last night, uh, Republicans uh, nominated uh, Tudor Dixon, who is a very, very outspoken anti-abortion voice, no exceptions. Uh, they also have on the ballot in the fall a uh, a, a ballot initiative, an issue uh, that would enshrine abortion rights in the Constitution of the state of Michigan. Uh, I think this is going to be front and center. I think Gretchen Whitmer has to be uh, doing cartwheels uh, uh, today, having looked at this Kansas result. And I would expect within hours you're going to see advertising uh, of Tudor Dixon articulating her views on this issue. Oh, yeah, totally. That's going to just flush people out in suburban uh, Detroit and elsewhere. And increasingly West Michigan, which which isn't quite what it used to be. You know, it's funny. Whitmer had a statement out like that. I'll tell you one take on Tudor real fast. It's my old stomping ground. There was an incredibly weak field of Republican candidates, and then two two of them couldn't get their signatures together in a scam signature gathering thing. So it was Keystone Cops all the way. But of that crowd, the one with the best shot, that's why the regulars got behind her, is Tudor Dixon. The misery index, which is back, is among all 50 states is among the very highest in Michigan. So Whitmer's vulnerable. But I agree with you. This and that damn constitutional thing gives them a way to interject this issue into her race every day of the week. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? Where do you stand? And that is that's the tool Whitmer will need. I'll just finish by saying in a wave election, though, in the great Christie Nome tradition, uh, Tudor Dixon could still upset, but it's an uphill road and abortion makes it harder. To your question, Murphy, I think the the challenge Democrats will have and what good campaigns will do is they're going to have to graph this this energy slightly differently than Kansas. Kansas provided a very easy yes or no on abortion rights. Um, you, you know, the, the vote on on choice was front and center. It was it was the constitutional vote. In a bunch of these states, Michigan, a little bit of of uh, uh, an outlier in this, you're not going to have as direct a correlation to what to somebody's vote. So a a good Democratic candidate is going to have to bend this a bit to make that part of what the legislature is going to tackle going forward. Um, this is going to be huge, though, in swing states like, as you mentioned, Michigan, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Wisconsin, Arizona, Georgia, Georgia. Could even have, I think, some impact in places like Ohio and Texas and Florida. 
Um, again, I don't know that we fully know exactly what it will mean, and it will depend somewhat on where the legislature is and, and, and what is in front of the state. Um, but there's no doubt there's real energy. But you're right. The campaign's going to put Roe on the ballot. And it's a smart move in most places for most campaigns if you're, you're a Democrat. I would just say on Michigan, there is a law that was passed in 1931 that right. is a very restrictive law. And so that's, that's what put momentum behind this ballot issue the thing that stands beside behind the uh, you know between the implementation of this law and uh uh and Michigan is not uh, in the interim is uh the governor and democratic officials right. it's not hard for governors in this environment right. that the supreme court has created to make abortion rights a major issue in their campaigns yeah the other thing that that Whitmer the the luck is Beyond Tudor Dixon, who can kind of fake it, um, you've got a bunch of cranks in the statewide offices, and that would have been a competitive AG race against Nestle, and they're going to be banging the drum in kind of a bad way on some of this stuff, which is going to be more trouble for her because she's going to try, if the campaign has any brains, to put a little distance between Tudor 1.0 and the new improved Tudor 2.0. But 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 having it on the ballot in the middle of the fight is very sticky, and it sure makes it easier for the D's to make it a referendum on that. Hex, to your point, those states that I listed all have gubernatorial races, some of which will also have Senate races that undoubtedly will see some benefit from this. I do think it's worth mentioning, Republicans spent the better part of five decades getting ready to and pushing to uh, overturn Roe versus Wade. They weren't exactly ready, though, for what happened oh, when of course that not. happened. They wanted the issue, most of them, you know, or the right. argument, not the outcome. Proverbial dogs that caught the car. They're exactly. the dogs that caught the car. Well, the old formula in the GOP on abortion was, in most places, particularly states with a lot of kind of working class Catholics, the single issue voters who only cared about that in their decision tended to be more pro-life. Right. Because the pro-choice voters weren't threatened. You know, they weren't looking for a change. They were happy with status quo. Well, now that's been flipped. So yeah. to quote Admiral Yamamoto, we've, you know, the Republicans. As you have, often do. As I often do. They have woken a sleeping giant. And, and we saw the first step of that giant waking up in Kansas. Well, the other thing is, you know, Democrats needed some sort of turnout machine. There was a listlessness uh, among Democrats. That, that. That is largely gone, and it's not just this. This is a major driver uh, here. But it was the it was the mass shootings. It's the hearings. It's Trump reemerging uh, in uh, politics uh, in a, in in the center stage of politics. Uh, you know, uh, Blake Masters got nominated to the Senate yesterday in Arizona. Uh, you know, one of these uh, Peter Thiel right wing. Uh, you know, J.D. Vance. Nut uh, jobs. Type. Yes. Right. There you go. Uh, and uh, I mean, I can't help but think that Donald Trump delivered the United States Senate to Democrats in 2000 and, uh, and, tw and 20. And he may well deliver the, the uh, re-deliver the Senate to Democrats in 22 by saddling Republicans with with dog candidates. Well, yeah, no, this this is a big factor, though. I would say it's increasingly less Trump and more Trump craziness. You know, so the the stench is in the room beyond just the Trump personality. And I'll argue with Gibbs about that in a minute. But I don't. I, I want to stop 
and uh, uh, get to Michigan for a sec, because there was a horrible murder uh, up in West Michigan, the Grand Rapids area. And I thought you were eloquent about this last night on the network I shall not mention, um, because I'm on the payroll of another one. That uh, still doesn't need old white guys on election night. It is clear. Uh, but anyway, to your point, uh, <laughs> talk about grievance politics. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm, I'm a grievance voter now, yelling at the TV. You know, Murphy, uh, Axe and I are going to go get a, a cold yeah. drink. We'll, we'll be back in a minute. You just talk right. amongst yourself. Thing, you know? doesn't want to be associated with you because he works there too. Lawn sprinklers. <laughs> and what's this? No turn on red sign. Hey, Gibbs, were you? Did you do anything last night, or were you in the Barker lounger too? <laughs> Not, well, I I don't have a Barca lounger, but uh, <laughs> oh, no, I, sure. was, uh, I was just hanging out watching the internet like yeah. you were. Yeah, exactly. I was learning a lot. Murphy was on the Barca lounger adjusting the rabbit ears on his television. Yeah, and telling no, all no, those I, kids to get off his lawn. You know, when you can't get goddamn Dumont, you know it's time for a new set. I tried to call the Admiral people, and they, they, their phone doesn't work anymore. But so to, to Peter Meyer. So Peter Meyer is one of the small uh, group of Republican members who had the guts to Ten vote of them. Yeah. for impeachment. And he had a complete crank, a guy with a Napoleon hat running against him. Uh, and to his credit, he almost pulled it off last night. Kent County didn't quite come through for him in the end. I was a little worried it wouldn't. Uh, he, he, and so it was heartbreaking. It was about three, three, 3,500 votes, it looks like, out of 100,000. But the number one funder of his crazy Trump opponent wasn't Trump, wasn't the NRA, wasn't anybody. It was the Democratic Party. Uh, and of all the problems in Congress, I don't think Peter Meyer was one of them. And so, you know, shame on the D-trip. He might have pulled that off if they hadn't basically funded 90 percent of Gibbs's campaign. Yeah. Uh, who's the Trumpy nut. Not Robert Gibbs. Just, I was just going to say, no, yeah. and my brother's name is John. It's not my brother either. So just <laughs> I want to absolve us as we get into this conversation. So noted. Listen, um, I, I've, I spoke, I've said this before the primary that Peter Meyer was just days into his tenure in the Congress when he voted to impeach a president of his own party. He's a veteran. He saw a president who had violated his oath. Uh, and uh, I admire him for doing it. Uh, and I think the message that this sends that, you know, uh, that Democrats, when they see, uh, the uh, political advantage will turn on someone who 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 did that in this way and lift a an election denier uh, to try and defeat someone who stood up in this situation. Just wrong. It's a terrible message. It also puts the election denier in a position uh, to win, and that's been true all over. But in this case, it's particularly egregious because of what Meyer did. I would say this: if uh, you know. To every Democrat who has been on my ass about uh, this position, <laughs> I, I think that if Meyer uh, were to have won that primary, perfectly appropriate for Democrats to strongly support their candidate because Peter Meyer doesn't share a lot of positions uh, with Democrats. That's that's what's supposed to happen. But to, to sort of backdoor sneaky uh, fund an election denier to try and uh, defeat Meyer was a it was a it was a bad thing to do, and uh, I, it's a bad look for the Democratic Party. It 
it, you know, and I, I, last thing I'm going to say, you guys, I promised myself after our last encounter that I was going to try and limit my words here. So this is the last thing that I'm going to say. We'll, we'll make that uh, a three-way uh, challenge here. And uh, Vegas uh, already uh, is paying 10 to one against, but go uh, ahead. But, 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 um, think about this. If Liz Cheney were from a swing district, would it have been okay for the Democratic Party to go in and try and beat her in the primary by lifting up an election denier? If Adam Kinzinger had been running, would it have been okay to go in and, and in a Republican Party and lift up an election denier uh, to defeat him? I think people would have been outraged by that. And this is the same thing. This is the but, same I, thing. I know. I agree wrong. with that. But I think they would have done it. Now, maybe the world will change because of the outrage this has had. I mean, you know, this is akin to winning the Super Bowl by poisoning the other team at their hotel the night before the game. I mean, Meyer deserved a tough general election. Fair enough. I totally agree with you with this. But finally, quickly, under our new rule— the other thing is if you're a Republican member thinking of bucking Trumpism, him, you get your turn. Okay, you're, you're going to be thinking, well, one, if I do this, I will get a primary and I don't want a primary. And two, even if I can choke off the kooks money, the Dems are going to come in and fund the hell out of them. So, you know, it's a huge incentive to stay in the crazy parade. Yeah, I'm going to first of all, I'm going to have us all break our, our word limit by bringing you into a conversation that I think is worth having as part of this. I'm certainly not going to disagree or debate with you uh, because I agree that the the enormous level of cynicism that it takes to do this. I, I do not, though, want to absolve Republican voters for having delivered this win for Peter Meyer's opponent. I, I, I appreciate your analogy, Murphy, that this is akin to poisoning the Super Bowl, but it's not because the while. while what it may have done is it may have provided a larger crowd cheering for the other team in the Super Bowl, but Republican voters in a very Republican part of Michigan supported Peter Meyer's opponent because of what they believed Peter Meyer did, rightly or wrongly. But And I think you can get mad at the DCCC about money, but the Republicans are the ones who delivered this. Yeah, it wouldn't party, have been, I agree, Gibbs. It wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have worked if there weren't a market for it. I, I, right. I agree with that. And by the way, the Super Bowl thing doesn't exactly apply because this was like the AFC going in and rigging the NFC championship game. Yeah, my, okay, fair, try, fair enough. You know, it's a tortured analogy, but it was still <laughs> sports ball. It was cheating. It was dirty, rotten, afraid okay, of a fair right, fight. Well, Put a huge thumb on the scale. And by the way, if, if you're going to decide we're going to win this election at any cost, you got to have a, a footnote in the rule book about really even even somebody like that who's an incentive for good for the larger picture. Remember the pious speeches we're given every day as Democrats? Maybe we ought to listen to one of them. Uh, anyway, last point I'll make. If, if they had not done it. <laughs> They had not put 500000 in, which was like four times more than the Gibbs guy that nobody had heard of in the district had. This, this three-point election, three-and-a-half-point election, could very well have gone the other way. And then it is likely that tomorrow, when we get the Washington state ballots in, all three Trump impeachment candidates will have won their primary. It looks like Dan Newhouse won in Washington. Herrera Butler's close to winning. We need more vote in. And I think the DNC thumb made up that three points, put Gibbs in that race. That would have been a watershed moment about realigning incentives in the party. And instead, some Democrat hack who's still going to be cleaning out their desk when the House falls uh, to the Republicans, you know, they're they're on their exit interview. They can say, well, I torched the most patriotic Republican in the House. So 
you know, looking for my new job at the Tobacco Institute. Though I wish to point out those races in Washington are helped by the fact that they have a different system there. So yeah. it's the you know yeah. top yeah, two top finishers two. go forward. But anyway, Gibbs, go ahead. No, I just I, I, I totally agree, Murphy. I, look, I, there's deep cynicism here, and and it's got to be reckoned with because we've got to we've got to model what we want the outcome of elections to be in the governing of our country, not just how we conduct the elections. But again, this is. This is what this is the Trump party. This is what he has wrought. This is this is the exact part of that. We, we're going to segue here to Arizona, where you know Trump won the looks like he's won the governor's race. Look like he won the Senate race. Uh, you know, well, how it, about it is, the AG and Secretary of State with yeah, you know, even flat kookier. out crazy nuts? Well, Carrie Lake's pretty kooky. Yeah, she is true. And the House Speaker, Republican House Speaker that testified at the January 6th committee, got obliterated in, in his a, reelection. Yeah, it was a state Senate primary. Yeah, huh? no, guys, I'm with you. Trumpism horrible, you know. But what do we no, no, do no, no, about no. it? We don't go murder the the candles of tiny hope we have. I think the idea, yes, I think you're going to have some two wins by congressmen in Washington that voted to impeach Trump on the Republican side. But I think you, you would strain your vision and your credibility to think that Donald Trump did anything last night but come away with a fairly resounding win and showed his strength on inside the Republican Party. Yeah, there's no doubt. The question is, does it extend to a general election? You know, Democrats, no. yeah, uh, I mean, there, the, the, a lot of Democrats worry about Katie Hobbs. They're not sure, the Secretary of State, whether she'll be the strongest candidate uh, for governor, that remains to be seen. But, uh, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of uh, concern among independent voters in that state about Carrie Lake. Oh, I think it's highly likely she's going to lose now. You know, the Dems have a credible candidate and secretary of state won. Well, I hope, you know, those other races need to be uh, tended to as well. So Trump may celebrate today and the Republican Party may suffer uh, in November. I, I want to I want to, and and the Rusty Bowers thing is, I mean, he was no, he's a he's a hero, yeah. he's a hero, and uh, it it's just uh, you should really, explain who he is to Gibbs's relatives yeah. who listen to. Uh, he was the Arizona uh, House Speaker who has stood up to the intimidation and basically the blatant Dur- attempt by Trump world to try to fix directly the to Trump. Trump called yeah. him. Yeah, no, right. no, he got the touch just like uh, Raffensperger did the Georgia Secretary of State. And he, he he is patriot first, and he did the right thing, and now he's persona non grata in the in at least the organizational wing of the Arizona Republican Party, which has been veering into Cookville for a long time. By the way, this is a crescendo now. And if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he in that first set of witnesses on the January 6th commission, which, as you point out, acts is what led to his censure, what has led to. Uh, uh, all of the activity around the election led to him garnering an opponent, and and then and then losing in the Republican primary. Fairly stunning for a state house speaker to have happen. Yeah, he was actually term limited, so he's running for the state senate. But they they did everything they can. They did everything. I had the privilege, you guys, of sitting at his table at the Profiles and Courage dinner, where he was one of the co-awardees with Liz Cheney and Zelensky and some others. And I have to say, he was as impressive in private as he was on that uh, on that witness, uh, in that witness chair at the committee hearing. I'm, I'm really, really uh, sorry. And, you know, as with many of these people, I probably don't agree with them on 90 percent of, 95 uh, percent of issues. But on the biggest issue of, of the day, uh, 
you know, he stood up and it's really sad. Hey, I got to say something else that I should have said earlier. Uh, one guy who deserves a little credit for uh, this this quandary Republicans find themselves in is Mitch McConnell. And there's a certain sort of a karmic ele- justice. elegance to it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you go back to the, the Garland thing and his unwilling and his basically blockading the choice of a Supreme Court justice. They end up, uh, uh, you know, naming Trump gets three Supreme Court picks, makes uh, anti-abortion a litmus test issue. Uh, the Supreme Court goes beyond what I'm sure McConnell thought and wanted them to. Uh, I'm sure he he recognized immediately when that when the complete overturn of Roe came down. This is trouble, and all of this may prevent him from becoming the majority leader again. So there's a certain yes, there's a kind of uh, karma to hold the whole thing. Well, and 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 you know to bring in an earlier point that you made, David. I mean, one of the things he and he first saw this in, in some ways by saying earlier in the year uh, or last year that the only the only the only group that could get in the way of Republicans taking control of government was Republicans. And that brings into your point this idea what what we've seen Trump do in statewide races, both in the Senate, uh, in, in gubernatorial races, is help foist on Republicans some seriously weak nominees that are running terrible campaigns, that are falling behind raising money. Blake Masters is, is basically, he's got a lot of Peter Thiel money, but Mark Kelly's got $25 million in the bank. Herschel Walker's running a terrible campaign in Georgia in a place that, quite frankly, ought to be a pickup for uh, Republicans, given the political environment. But they're saddled with a group of just terrible candidates. And it's going to it may well be the difference between what we see as an election win in places for Republicans, the difference between that and a wave, because in a wave. You could run, you could run Herschel Walker in a terrible campaign and you'd still win, right? You could run a Carrie Lake who's a nut job and still win, and she still may win. But unless those races win, you're not going to have a wave election. Yeah, but I having being Jurassic, I've been through a few waves, and I'm the summer is always this. Well, the Hoofnagel campaign screwed up their press conference and their bumper stickers had a misspelling, and what a bunch of idiots! And then it's Senator Hoofnagel after the wave. So we're see Herschel yeah. Walker, who's been a terrible candidate, is still very much in the hunt down there in the data. No, no, I mean, absolutely. it's unbelievable. He's uh, the minute he starts performing, or they can fake it for twenty days in a row, he'll take command of that race. Maybe he never will. I agree with Gibbs. We got a bunch of weak candidates doing weak yeah. stuff. But in a wave, even a box of hammers can win. So we, we got to wait and see. We wrote about this on in, in our hacksontap.bulletin.com a couple of days ago. Well, what's that address again, Gibbs? I didn't Hacksontap.bulletin.com. And it's free, right? It is free. It okay. comes twice a week, gotcha. right to your inbox. The only enemy we have is Republican crazy, Democrat socialism, and your spam filter. But go ahead. Um, but to, to, and to your point, and we, we and I mentioned this is that you, you got in these. If you look at these off presidential elections, you know whether it's you know 2006, 2010, 2014, 2018, they do tend to be uh, wavy in the sense that everything goes in a certain direction, and I think that's what will be interesting 
to see coming out No, no, you're right. It's in play more than it should be. And I've got to just do a listener note here. We do this on Zoom from different places while we record our own audio for the fidelity that uh, thanks to Professor Jeff Fox, you have grown to love on your car radio. But during this long bloviation (laughs) between me and Gibbs, Axe has taken a meal break. So I'm looking at a a fisheye computer lens. You you got any mustard? What was that? A a, a chili dog and some schnitzel? What the hell are you Uh, shoveling in your mouth? Candy bar. Candy Candy bar. bar. All right. And they say in my hotel room, there's some Saratoga water. I just took some of that. Oh, yeah. Three chili dogs and a malt is what it was. And just to be clear, the odds now of uh, Axe speaking fewer words in this podcast have gone from 10 to 1 down to 2 to (laughs) 1 because the buffet... I'm the buffet has shown up in his room, and therefore it's all part you, of the strategy. Gibbs, you might yeah, think it's, he it's disappeared. Good. What's for dessert? <laughs> there is this anomaly because Biden, despite the fact that he's on a really big run right now, we should talk about that. And yet, Democrats are creeping up, and it defies logic, or at least it defies experience, that a party can somehow outrun the popularity of their or unpopularity of their president why is this happening well that that's the key i'm going back to to, my candy bar yeah yeah no no (laughs) that's the biggest candy bar it's like one of those gag hershey bars the size of a catcher's mitt candy bars yeah no no no. No, no. again i said to the guy who who i bought this from my guys talk long i need a really <laughs> big, big candy, candy bar, bar. <laughs> and this is what he gave me but the fisheye lens effect of you leaning in with the jaw like in mandible it's like a nature documentary here <laughs> watching the grasshopper likes to eat okay so to the question the way to fix the wave if you're democrats is to at least partially fix biden he's the underwater earthquake behind the 80 foot wall of water that threatens everything so does biden have the toolkit to do some things now better late than never and he does some stuff's getting done the republicans are being crazy and he's got this fiery road torch which all the conventional wisdom is going to obsess on for a while so great you know run with it so i think he does have a moment now the the question is will the bite of inflation lower enough and gas prices that He's got a little bit of a skyhook to hang progress on. And that's that's an open question. Though I'll tell you, this grain deal in Ukraine is a good supply chain thing there. He, you know, he, he's got like a betting interest in getting better. But they have to take these ingredients yeah. and communicate, which has not been the yeah. master karate chop of this White House and this president. You know, we should ask a former White House press secretary about this. You know any? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, there's that one guy who was in the fast food bit. Oh, yeah, Gibbs. <laughs> all right, sorry, I'm fin- finishing up my M&Ms. Hold on one sec. No, um, right. So first of all, let's let's use Begala's term, which I thought was ingenious. Build back Biden is, is really, <laughs> yeah. uh, is really build good. back better, right? Um, and to your point, I think, Murphy, he, Biden still continues to need atmospheric help. And and for this not to be a wave, you're going to need that. Whether it's whether it's economic, whether it's in Ukraine, whether it's some confluence of those together, I, I think he's certainly going to need it. But I absolutely agree that they've still got to put 
all of this together into a servable dish, not to use a food reference now that Axe is uh, Yum. is 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 <laughs> pass, on to, it, uh, pass it over. Is on By the way, his, ladies and gentlemen, he's still going. That jaw's right. still grinding away here. I'm just I now know the one thing he likes more than talking is eating. He's much like me. The waiter just showed up with the second course. Get all your thoughts out, guys. I'm just about done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lord knows what he's been saving up uh, during this uh, this carbohydrate laden. Um, no, it's dark chocolate, so I'll be talking <laughs> fast for the rest of the show. <laughs> uh, but no, I, th- I, I think it's exactly it, and I still think Biden needs to go out there uh, when he's cured from COVID and 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 go out and rally the base in a place where. Uh, he can do that and put all this stuff together and mention the fact that yesterday we've got the lowest the lowest number of uninsured Americans in 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 our history. Yeah, no, he's got stuff to work with. I I, I agree. Will they do? He's got it? lots of good stuff, and I think. But I think to your point, he's got to put it all together, and it's got to be seen and heard. I thought he hit a solid triple with the Zawahiri thing. By the way, I thought they executed. He that did, well. but you know what? Absolutely. It would have been. It would have been. A, it could have been a home run. I mean, in a sense. This goes to the problem. Now, the poor guy has COVID. I mean, my question to you, Gibbs, is would you have rolled him out? You know, because he looked (laughs) positively anemic. It was a triumphant moment, and he could barely get through his statement. And, you know, maybe it would have been better to have the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and the defense secretary announce this. In the situation they're in, I would have done it. I'd take a triple. Yeah. It's hard to say no to that, not the least of which, you know, I, I think Biden wanted a bit of a victory lap. Yeah, yeah. After, after Understood. Saying, Understanding. Yeah, not just on killing a, a terrible person, good riddance, uh, but also I, I think it underscores this idea that, that he said a year ago. Yeah, the overhorizon thing. Yeah, yeah, and a very bungled attempt to get out of Afghanistan that they could still do counterterrorism without having yeah. tens yeah. of thousands of troops there. So I, I get that, and and but I, I you know it's going to be their challenge. We we know we've known this for a while, um, but I, man, I tell you now more than ever before. To use your analogy, uh, Murphy, all the ingredients are there. It's just putting it into we know we know Axel eat it if we if it's cooked well. So uh, the recipe is is ready. Just cooked. We've beaten this dish to death. Yeah, yeah, no, no. We, we, I'm this done with thing my is, candy bar. It's I'm burned on. to a crisp. We've overcooked it. All right, hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. And now a word from our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by PayPal Honey. Hey, Gibbs, how do you feel about online shopping? I mean, how often do you do it? And most of all, when you do it, you know, at the end, when you're buying that unmentionable item you want shipped in, a, in an unmarked <laughs> container, they have a little little thing you for promo code. You're supposed to type in the secret code. Well, I never have the code. I never have the code either, Murphy. I feel like a loser. I feel like I'm losing money. Yeah, exactly. Where's the club? How come I'm not in on the codes? I'm not one of the beautiful code people. Well, what do we do about this, Gibbs? Well, Murphy, thanks to Honey, manually searching for those coupon codes is a thing of the past. Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. It supports over 30,000 stores online, ranging from tech and gaming products to your favorite popular fashion brands and axes, even food delivery. Well, you know, it's funny. I was looking for a members only jacket the other day because i hear that's what the hipsters all wear and the kids today at least they did in 1984 and so i was shopping around on the internet and i had a code for once i i made it in life and it worked i saved a little money on the product i bought which was not a members only jacket 
I was going to say I had one of those when I was 13, uh, Murphy. So uh, Yeah, but you still wear it. But anyway, back to honey.com. It doesn't fit. Imagine you're shopping on one of your favorite sites. When you check out, the Honey button drops down, and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons. Wait a few seconds as Honey searches for coupons it can find for that site. If Honey finds a working coupon, you'll watch the prices drop. And it works on your iPhone. So you can join the club and have a code on your impulse shopping on your iPhone. This thing is really cool. You should totally check it out. And all you got to do is hook it up, as Gibbs says, your phone, your browser, and it works. You just enable it on Safari. So how do the good people get into the club of codes through honey.com? Excellent question, Murphy. If you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out. That's uh, what those hip kids say in their members-only jacket. It's literally free and installs in just a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a ton of good and supporting this podcast. I like that. We'd never recommend something we don't use. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash hacks. That's joinhoney.com slash hacks. Get a code, man. Save some money. Now that we've entered the vast canvas of geopolitics with Zawahiri, et cetera, I want to pivot over to a simple question. What the hell was Nancy Pelosi thinking? I mean, I give her credit. She's always been on the right side of the Chaikam issue, Tiananmen Square, et cetera, et cetera. But it's the worst timing ever. Uh, President Xi, the Chinese dictator, has his big power grab reelect equivalent coming up in two weeks. You know, not a good idea to make a guy like that lose face two weeks out for no gain. Now we're going to have freighters full of arms heading to resupply the Russian army. I will bet you two more of X's jumbo candy bars. So you guys understand her psychology. She's a great ward healer. She's a great domestic inside house politician. But why is she trying to be Kissinger here and tripping over the carpet like a mini Trump? Well, I think you answered your question in part uh, in your preamble there. She, uh, she, she, this has been a genuine cause for her. From the very beginning, you mentioned Tiananmen Square. She, as a early three years into her tenure, or two mm-hmm. or three years into her tenure, she went to uh, Beijing and she stood in Tiananmen Square with a delegation and she unfurled a banner to protest the treatment of protesters in Tiananmen Square uh, and was uh, whisked away by Chinese uh, uh, security. She has been on this issue for years. I suspect, I don't know, you know, that. Part of this is she's not going to be here uh, in January. I think she's not going to be in that Congress. I, I think she's going to leave after she wins re-election. I, she hasn't told me that. I'm just surmising. I think this is something that she wanted to do. She wanted to go and signify solidarity with Taiwan. She's been planning this trip for a long time. It got canceled in April because of COVID. Uh, and uh, But I think also once once it became known that she was going, and then everybody told her she couldn't. Well, then she right. had to go. Exactly. Had to. Exactly. Had to. And I think, you know, I, if I were the administration, I don't think it was a, maybe they had to do it for national security reasons for mollifying the Chinese. But the president saying, well, gee, uh, you know, the, the Pentagon doesn't think it's a good idea. You know, it, it, it basically put her in a position and she said it, you know, uh, that we're not going to let, we're not going to let she decide 
uh, whether we can go to Taiwan or not. No, once she announced she had to go, we don't back down to Chinese dictator threats, but her announcing she had to go because she wants an oil painting of her standing next to the president of Taiwan is just so reckless and stupid because now we're going to pay a price. The Chinese have a capacity to act up a lot to help the Russians who are on the ropes. Uh, they can resupply them. It, it's just bad. The credit her in, in this sense, uh, and, and Murphy, you, you know I've kind of gone back and forth on this and, and, and landed a bit on the idea that to your point, that there wasn't a ton to be gained by her landing there versus what we risked. Now, I will say the trip came off well done in Taiwan. It wasn't wildly provocative. You could imagine a politician with far less skill going in there and poking and poking and poking in a way that would have just made anything a lot worse. She didn't do that. She basically showed our solidarity. She didn't stay terribly long. Um, you know, she got her points and she left. I think in reality, it gives us a little bit of a ability to go back to China and say, look, we've got codels that go to, 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 uh, to Taiwan all the time. Politicians go all the time. You guys are just trying to get exercised about something. Now, doesn't mean that the Chinese won't just get exercised to get exercised. Um, it's a very delicate situation. And, and I think all things being said, she had to go. Um, and I think she delivered the and executed the trip itself once she landed about as well as you could have hoped. And on her psychology, let me just say, uh, the one thing you should not do to get Nancy Pelosi to do what you want to do is tell her that she can't do something. That's her psychology. So, you know, no, you've made, you know, I understand your point. You know, I just, it's not that, wow, it was a success. The Chinese did not launch an airstrike on Taiwan. No, they got a million other ways to act up and remind us that, okay, we can play this game too. And it's coming. Dragons are patient. Just watch. I can imagine, I can imagine, and a lot of members of your your party, Murphy, have made the point, but I can imagine some of the same, I mean, I, can remember some of the same marg- uh, arguments being made about Ukraine. You know, don't 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 draw too close to them. Don't provoke the Russians. Don't you know? And so you know, I think to her and to a lot of people, this is a democracy issue. And uh, and you know, w- uh, and she wanted to show solidarity. Yeah, she just teed them up for an easy home run uh, in the bigger picture, which is common now. We're seeing. Well, in fairness, I think. The grade for this trip on both sides, we don't know the answer to yet. We, we won't know this for, for several months, and we'll see what happens with domestic politics in China. We'll see whether this changes China's calculus as it relates to Russia, China's calculus as it relates to, quote unquote, reunification, what it means for the United States needing to uh, accelerates it, its efforts to arm Taiwan. So a lot to know. Yeah, wh- wh- I, I I hear you on all that. But Biden had made some good progress. The Chinese were not helping the Russians nearly to the scale they're capable of. And as the old Chinese proverb says, best to bang the drum inside your house to spare the neighbors. And this flashy public stuff is unhelpful amateur hour. Is that really an old Chinese proverb? I found that in the Chinese proverb section of Sun Young Google. Famous Chinese (laughs) proverb collector, and it made me smile. So it's also in that. You would have heard all this in the Hacks on Tap, Hacks on Tap.Bulletin.com newsletter four days ago. We're recycling material. That's What was that that address? 
Uh, well, David, that would be hanksontap.bulletin.com. Now, bookmark right. it there next to Grubhub, and uh, <laughs> it'll be one of your favorite sites. Hey, Axe, what he, what he doesn't tell you is that uh, uh, that saying is from a famous, uh, a famous Chinese man named Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> it sounds like it, yeah. He's very wise. You know, one thing that I think, speaking of banging the drum, maybe it's time to bang the male drum. That was one hell of a transition there. Fueled by coca and That was caffeine. a dark chocolate transition yeah. right there. I'm telling you, man, I'm going to have one every episode. Let's now. give him a Reese's yeah. cup and watch him knock it out of the park. <laughs> All right, dear listener, if you have a question for the hacks, email it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. I won't plug the free twice-a-week newsletter. You've heard that address too many times already. But we do have some great questions, and the first one is going to go to Robert Gibbs, or I should probably address you for this one by your old Secret Service secret code name, Word Salad. Uh, <laughs> okay, all right. I didn't get a laugh with that. Cut it out, Fox. Question for... <laughs> yes, I mean, the diminutive Mike Murphy, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> all right, this is for Robert. I'm going to sit back here and eat another candy bar and watch you guys go at it. Yeah, you must have a forklift there in the hotel. How'd you get all those things in the room? <laughs> That's how I'm going to get myself out of the room. Send me one. I'm getting a little peckish here. All right. All right. For we Gibbs. didn't know he was recording in Hershey, Pennsylvania. <laughs> all right. Gibbs, this is a great question, and we're entrusting it to you. It's from Rob. Am I the only person who thinks it is odd and troubling how the Secret Service is so obviously flouting rules around disclosure of their emails for the January 6th hearings? Can you, Robert Gibbs, provide more context around this? Rob, you are not the only person uh, who finds this odd and troubling. You're not only you're not even the only person named Rob that finds this troubling and odd. And Murphy, just so you know, my secret service code name, as all the press secretaries are, was Matrix. Ooh, I like that. That's kind of cool, right? No, it it is deeply troubling. It's quite frankly a violation of the law. I, I know we can listen to all this quite frankly bullshit about we were upgrading our phones. There's federal laws governing communications that don't adhere to uh, upgrades of your cellular plan. They're required under the law. I think that the head of the Secret Service should be subpoenaed in front of the January 6th committee and or Congress or both to testify on this. But understand there's a pattern evolving here. CNN reported yesterday uh, that the same thing is true uh, with with uh, some former Pentagon employees uh, around January 6th. This is, uh, this is not an allergy that's happened to certain phones and upgrade plans. Uh, this is, I think right now, it looks like nothing short of uh, a cover-up to erase communications that, that might tell us a lot more about what happened there. And I, I think that Congress should, should get to the bottom of this by calling the head of the Secret Service and by, by calling anybody who's phone is missing messages to testify under oath right now. And there should be the penalty of law uh, administered to somebody that they find that willingly deleted those messages. The the head of the Secret Service is about to retire, uh, and they shouldn't let that person get out the door without having the opportunity to share what happened here. And I, I greatly admire the Secret Service. They protected obviously the president and first lady that I worked for on occasion protected myself and my family. And, and I greatly admire them, but 
this goes to the credibility the central part of the credibility of their job, and they need to testify on it. Well, certainly before they walk out the door, they ought to grab their cell phone and archive their their text <laughs> messages. Yeah, 10-4. Mike Murphy. Yes. Andrew asks, what are your thoughts on the newly formed forward party? That's the party that uh, of uh, dissidents from falling away from both parties, including your old client, Christy Todd Whitman as one chair and Andrew Yang, the presidential candidate, on the other. And do you see it pulling voters from one party more than another? Great question, Andrew. And I don't have a Secret Service code name, though President George W. once pulled me aside and said, you know how I give people cute nicknames? You know what yours is? What, Mr. President? Asshole who cost me $40 million after New Hampshire. So uh, yes. it's not as cool as Matrix. To Andrew's question, you know, a lot of my friends are involved in this stuff, and I understand why, and I understand among some Americans there's a demand for it, Andrew, but I'll tell you what I told them. The problem is it's a really good plan. It's kind of like French vanilla ice cream. You're going to split up the vanilla now market. Now you're talking. And the- <laughs> room service? I just ordered room service. We yes. need a double quart. Use your hand truck. I was just thinking I needed something else. Thank you. Yeah, yeah a little, little, little finisher there for you. Um, so the problem with this is you split the anti-Trump market because now anti-Trump voters or if, if this whole thing is designed, I, I they will say it's designed, you know, because our politics is dead, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll talk about that. But the, the big thing is if Trump runs, you don't want to split the get rid of Trump vote. You don't want to create an escrow account for people to go throw their vote away into. Now, to their larger purpose of a better politics, hallelujah. But the problem with these these miracle new parties is if you ever put all the supporters in the room, the thing you will find is the only thing they all agree on is they hate the two parties we have. So on all the issues, they're going to schism. So in the future, we will eventually, many years probably, be able to vote via blockchain uh, on our phones. And then maybe we'll have the ability to do a multi-party thing right. But right now, it's like Coke, Pepsi, the distribution is the big two. And these rogue ideas tend to just cannibalize that. So uh, I encourage people to go to fwd.com, which I think is their site, and check them out. But my enthusiasm for this idea is very limited. Murphy, that was a great answer. And I just want you to know, Axe didn't hear a word after you, after you said French vanilla. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with it. And I think uh, nothing more needs to be said. How about that? Axe, uh, yes. now that you're fueled up with uh, yes, dark yes, chocolate. yes, yes. yes. Let's turn you loose on Stephen's question. If Liz Cheney switched parties, changed her stance on a few key issues that separate Dems and Republicans, could she become the first woman president running against Trump or whomever as a Democrat in 2024? You know, I really have a very high regard for her. I mean, I think she is a great American, and I don't mean that as a cliche. I mean that, in fact, and history will record her as such because she passed the test of courage, she sacrificed her uh, career, uh, at least in the short run, she sacrificed her career uh, for a higher principle, and that principle is American uh, democracy. And, you know, if you look at polling right now, she's polling much higher among Democrats than she is among Republicans. Having said all that, Liz she's Cheney doomed. is a Republican <laughs> for a reason. Yeah. Uh, and she does believe, I mean, I, I, I say often, partly to help preserve her political career, that I, 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 I really, really respect her, I honor her, and I still disagree with her on 95% of issues. But 
that's okay. I mean, I would love to get back to a place where you can have honorable disagreements, support candidates of different parties, uh, support your own party's candidate, and still respect the other party's candidate uh, for their patriotism and for their commitment. And if she were the nominee of the Republican Party, that's what I'd like to be able to go to sleep at night without fear uh, of what the president of the United States might do. I would have no fear uh, if Liz Cheney were president. But I, you know, as a Democrat, disagree with her uh, on uh, issues. And I suspect that if she were to actually run in a Democrat primary, Ray, our previous uh, discussion about what happened in Michigan, I think that Democrats who honor her today would very quickly surface those areas of difference tomorrow Oh, uh, that separate her out. So, no, I don't think this is a I, I, I think that I share the spirit of the question, which is she is a great American, but she's not a Democrat. No, they'd love the idea for 48 hours. And then it would turn into the old joke about the cannibal king. You know, send me another candidate. The last one was delicious. Because on, <laughs> on, on the second look, they would they would just devour her. I, I'm staying with the theme of the show. Yeah. It would be like Axel riding a truckload of chocolate-covered strawberries. There'd be like a big blur of action and red slush in the air, and it would all be gone. So, yeah, no, no, she wouldn't last a second, and nor would she be comfortable in that world. She's not a Democrat. She's a highly principled conservative. The problem is we're no longer in the Republican Party in the highly principled conservative business. I'm hoping we get back there, but right now we're in the populist nutcase IQ 50 business, which is heartbreaking. Okay, guys, all good, but I have something on my mind I want to share, and so I think I need a last call. Last call. Some of you may remember that I got uncharacteristically testy in a previous podcast over the loquaciousness of my partners, and I threw a hissy fit and uh, embarrassed myself. And I said then, I am going to get a word count on how much each of us spoke in this podcast. I think Gibbs challenged me to that. Well, the word count was done, and I'm here to announce that Mike Murphy spoke for 14 minutes. Robert Gibbs spoke for 14 minutes. And David Axelrod spoke for 19 minutes, which is why I'm going to bring a snack to every podcast <laughs> from now on to make sure that I don't take my more than my share of words here. So my apologies to you, my friends, Robert, to you in particular, because I snapped at you. I, it turns out, was the big blabbermouth. Well, one, thank you. Two, you know we edited all that shit out and nobody heard it. Oh, is that true? <laughs> I think we did. Fox? Correct. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so I just did this Ed, whole- we got your back, you know? this is, And we don't want to turn it into Laverne and Shirley. Leave, leave this in. Leave We're going to put it in the time capsule. Don't worry. Right. Le well, no, that, no. Leave, the, leave, oh, leave well, it then, in. Then Graciousness, take two by Murphy. Oh, Axe, come on. We're all blabbermouths. That's what we do. <laughs> don't worry about it. Keep talking. This could be a very cynical attempt to just get more candy bars. So <laughs> I'm going to look past that. Uh, but in all seriousness, X, um, that was totally unnecessary. And I can speak for every one of our listeners that they want to hear you blabbermouth. They want to hear Murphy blabbermouth. They want to hear <laughs> me blabbermouth. That's that's why they turn in. And, and I, I was unnecessarily poking you on that. And I think, every again, every one of our listeners 
loves to hear your wisdom and your insight and your experience uh, because it makes their understanding of uh, politics right. a lot well, richer. I, I appreciate it. And you're right. It was totally unnecessary. And I told our producer, Allison Siegel, that when she insisted on doing the word count, and I was pretty dismayed when she came to me with the results and had to wrestle with my conscience about whether I'd share it with you. Well, keep in mind that Allison is in Chicago, so it was quite possible for us to dust her off and tilt the count. <laughs> so we're, anyway, onward. Right, I don't want to turn yes. this into a telethon here. Um, <laughs> yes. It's all so- good. <laughs> Thank you all out there who deserve the real thanks for listening and putting up with us in our run-on sentences. We hope you enjoy it. We sure enjoy doing it. And keep those questions and comments coming about all this to hacksontamp at gmail.com. We read them. We listen. And always, 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 if you feel the urge, post a comment or a rating on iTunes or anywhere else you want to bloviate about our bloviating. Bye, guys. See you, pal. Good as always to be with both of you.